to the Mind Your Hormones podcast. My name's Corinne, and I'm a board-certified holistic nutritionist who went from no period from mismanaged PCOS to a regular one. Now, I'm obsessed with helping you get hormonally balanced and emotionally aligned. This podcast is all about education, empowerment, real talk, and simple strategies you could start today to find inner peace and overall well-being. I am so excited to be here with you to chat about all things health, hormones, and mindset. Are you ready? Let's get it. Oh my gosh. I know at the top of every episode, I say how excited I am that you're here, but seriously, your mind is about to be blown. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation that I had with Kelly Kendall, who is the founder of The Balanced Boob. She created something called Boob School. We talk all about breastfeeding. And at the time of this recording, I am almost 32 weeks pregnant. At the time that you'll be hearing it, I'll be further along. But I am somebody who is planning on breastfeeding. And I, of course, have so many questions. So I know that you are going to gain so much value from this. I am literally, I just like can't even, I'm literally going to be re-listening to this episode. So we talked so much about the early stages of breastfeeding, like literally in the hospital. What can you expect with milk supply? How do you know if you need to supplement with formula if it's just the colostrum coming in? Is that normal? Hand expressing before you actually have the baby. Is it normal to have sore nipples? Like what about how to properly latch, low milk supply? What are the best types of bottles if you're going to be supplementing or pumping or if you need to transition to go back to work and you have to use bottles? What are the best types of bottles, the best types of nipples? What's the view on passive fires, any nipple confusion, like how can your spouse support you? We talk about, I mean, like literally every single question, not even every single question, because there's so much more we could have talked about. But this, if you are someone who is planning on breastfeeding, maybe you're pregnant right now, or you're currently in the breastfeeding stage, but you like want some more support, you want some more help around it. Like this episode is for you. She is so freaking knowledgeable. If you are unfamiliar with her, Kelly is a registered nurse. Um, She's not practicing nursing anymore. She actually left in 2020, but she's also an internationally board certified lactation consultant, which is an IBCLC. Um, And she she was, again, hospital-based lactation consultant and then she started her private practice specializing in telehealth support. And she created something called Boob School, which you have to check out. We refer to it in the episode. I'm going to put it in the show in the show notes for you. I am personally in Boob School and holy shit, this course is so comprehensive. I literally can't even believe it. It's helping me feel so much more confident going into my breastfeeding journey because I, I'm just like, all these questions that I had, it's all laid out for me. Like, oh my God, it's so incredible. So obviously I got you a discount code for it. Okay. And the discount code is in the show notes. It's obviously code Corinne as usual with most of the things that I have codes for. So if you're interested in boob school, check it out. Use my code for discount. I'm so freaking happy that I'm in there because I'm just feeling Oh, like so much more supported on this breastfeeding journey. All the stuff that we talked about, the guides she has, connecting with her via Instagram, her boob school course, like all of that will be in the show notes, but she is incredible. Like she really does blend this evidence-based breastfeeding information with like a down-to-earth approach about it. I am so excited for you to hear this episode. I literally cannot wait. Let's get right to it. 
Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the Mind Your Hormones podcast. I'm selfishly so excited for this conversation <laughs> because I have so many questions for you. I'm obsessed with your Instagram, I'm obsessed with all the information you put out. I know the audience is just going to literally love talking to you and hearing everything you have to share. So before we dive right in, can you just give a little intro of who you are, how you got into this whole breastfeeding world? Yeah. So I got into this breastfeeding world because when I was breastfeeding my two kids who are now 11 and nine, it was a literal shit show. (laughs) And I was already a nurse and in the, you know, maternal child field. And, you know, I still was completely unprepared. I really went into my experience just thinking that wanting to breastfeed was enough and Mm. reading a few random blogs and watching a few YouTube videos was like, enough preparation. And I just really was shocked by how intense and hard it was. And that Mm. really is what, you know, got me into this field. And so I'm a nurse and I later became an IBCLC, which is a lactation consultant. And I worked at a really busy hospital on the East coast, helping parents at the bedside. And then in 2020, I opened my private practice, the balance boob and started my Instagram account. And then that developed into what I do now, which is really work on educating people before birth and helping people kind of just navigate the challenges that come with feeding our babies and living in a human body and kind of all the challenges that that can present. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't realize you started this not that long ago. It's like about when I started my business too, in 2020. So are you still doing nursing or you're just, you're doing all breast uh, consulting now? All, all boob school all the time, right? Love it. Amazing. I decided perfect time to get out. (laughs) Right. It was pandemic (laughs) homeschooling and opening Mm -hmm. my business the same year. So it was a crazy 2020 for me, but yes, we're so worth it. it's been worth it. It's been the best thing. So I love it. That's amazing. Okay. I love this. So I want to go a little general first, and then I want to get into some specifics. So what are just like the like top benefits that you would say of breastfeeding? I mean, I know there's so many, but like, what are things that could like really help like motivate women to, uh, most people who are listening to this are wanting to breastfeed. Obviously, you know, there are challenges that come up with it, which we'll talk about, but what are like the real, like major benefits of it aside from like, obviously the nutrition point too, but just in general, what's your like real take of why you're so invested in helping women breastfeed? Well, I think, you know, breastfeeding really is the biological norm, right? Mm -hmm. Human milk is designed for human babies. Um, from, the way that it helps protect the infant's gut and helps kind of seed the baby's microbiome is a really important piece. So allowing the baby to have colostrum first really helps to protect the lining of their gut and helps to create beneficial microbiome. And breastfeeding, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but it does have health benefits for mom as well. So longer duration of breastfeeding is tied to lower risk of breast cancer and lower cardiovascular risk as well. So it's beneficial for most, for, for moms and babies, but I definitely am not someone that believes kind of breastfeeding has to be all or nothing that, Mm. you know, that benefits, you know, go away unless your baby is getting a hundred percent of breast milk. I really am someone that I think the more kind of inclusive we are of how breastfeeding looks for 
many, many families in this country, the longer people are going to be able to do it because they're going to, you know, feel more supported wherever their journey takes them. I love that. Wow. I did not know the benefits um, for a mom with, you know, reducing breast cancer and stuff like that. That's amazing. Just more incentive to want to do it. Um, Yeah. So you touched on the colostrum, which, you know, obviously so many people talk about that. So can you talk to us about like, what is the milk supply or like non-milk supply look like right after you give birth? Because I know a lot of people, if they're at hospitals where maybe there aren't lactation consultants, they will kind of force them into formula right away because their breast milk isn't coming in right away. Um, So what is that supposed to look like? Like what could be like a good expectation of you have the baby, like what's going to be coming out right away? What is it? Okay. If it's like, okay, you don't have to go to formula. If there's, if you're just producing colostrum, like what does that actually look like in the beginning? Yeah. So there's, several stages to milk production. And actually the first stage is called lactogenesis one, and that's happening in pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. starting at 16 to 22 weeks gestation, your body is preparing to breastfeed. You're already producing colostrum. And the reason increased uh, amount of boobs. (laughs) Yes. Your breasts are growing and changing (laughs) in preparation for your baby, but your body's so smart and cool that you have progesterone, which is a hormone that's circulating during pregnancy. That's telling your body, okay, get ready, but like not yet boobs, like not yet get the colostrum in there, but don't, you know, don't bring a full milk supply in yet. Right. And then after the placenta is delivered, that's what triggers the second stage of milk production. So it's really that mm. abrupt change in hormone levels after the delivery of the placenta that triggers the next stage of milk production. Okay. And so <clears throat> colostrum is your first milk. It mm. is it is not less than milk. It is milk. It's a highly concentrated, very viscous. Um, substance that has a lot of really important immunological benefits for babies. So it mm. helps to protect them against infection. Um, it helps to grow and and seed their microbiome. And really, ideally, it's it's the perfect food and the only food your baby will need over the first couple of days of their life as your milk transitions into okay. what we call transitional milk. So what a lot of moms don't understand is they think like they have colostrum. And then at some point, the first week they come home from the hospital, their real milk comes in, right? Right. It's like one and then the other. But really what's happening is every hour after birth, you're slowly increasing in volume Mm. um, as your milk transitions over this period of time. And what's really cool is the more frequently and the earlier we remove colostrum from our breasts, so as soon as, you know, the first hour after birth, if we are able to remove colostrum during that period of time and every couple hours for the first couple days of your baby's life, this is one of the most protective things we can do to help support and build a really great milk supply. So mm-hmm. the research is just so strong that this early removal of colostrum is so beneficial, not just that it as you transition to your more mature milk more quickly and in higher volume, but it's also going to impact your long-term milk production as well. Wow. Okay. So, so suggestion, your recommendation is like an hour after birth, hopefully like latch and start feeding right away. And then every couple of hours to help increase that production. 
Yeah. And I actually teach a lot of this in my class boob school. And this is why it's so great that you're getting this information now in pregnancy because I want moms to be able to use hand expression, which is where you literally use your hands to remove colostrum from your breasts. Mm -hmm. I want moms to have this tool and bring it to them with them to their birth. Mm -hmm. So in addition to trying to latch your baby, you're actually going to do a little bit of extra stimulation with your hands as well. Because we all know, you know, we're all imagining our births where our babies are born and they're put on our chest and they immediately start rooting around and we're allowed to have that amazing golden hour. And by all means, like advocate for that. And we talk about that as well in Boobsville, how to advocate for that. But some babies just really aren't stellar breastfeeders in the beginning. They can Mm -hmm. just, even if you have a physiologic, you know, natural delivery, some babies come out And they are totally stunned Mm -hmm. and they're not quite ready to nurse effectively. And so what I don't want to happen is a mom to be like nervous or waiting for the lactation consultant to come or not knowing what they need to do or requesting a bottle when really if they knew how to use hand expression, they would be able to utilize that tool early on and be able to feed that baby that extra bit of nutrition to help support them as they get the hang of latching and over the course of the next couple of days after birth. I love that. Okay. So hand expressing and then just like collecting it in like a bot or will it would be in a bottle or in like a little tube? You actually could collect it so after birth. You can collect it right on a spoon and feed it to baby immediately. Okay. So it's like literally like your insurance. We call it like dessert from a spoon. So you can feed baby at the breast for as long as they'll feed and then hand express a little bit after and give them the drops that you get or maybe a teaspoonful. Um, I encourage all moms. I'm able to get a mom into my, into my program and into my community, either on Instagram or in boob school in their pregnancy. I really encourage everybody to learn hand expression at the end of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So after about 38 weeks, um, 37, 38 weeks, if you are cleared to have intercourse, if you are cleared to stimulate those oxytocin hormones, then hand expression should be safe for you to practice as well because mm-hmm. you're stimulating literally the same hormones. Right. So <laughs> um, it, you can just practice. Some moms will just see drops. Some moms will not see much at all during pregnancy just because we talked about that um, hormone progesterone that's like putting the brakes on lactation. Right. For some moms, those hormones may be really strong. And as you know, in your work, hormones are so variable person to person, how we react to them is so variable. So I don't ever want a mom to panic that they're not seeing colostrum during pregnancy. It doesn't mean it isn't there. It's just Mm. your hormones may be really loud and your body may be kind of waiting until that shift in hormones to really see the colostrum. Mm. But if you learn this tool during the end of pregnancy, you will be able to use this and right away after birth. And yeah. some moms will even be able to collect this colostrum in the last days and weeks of pregnancy and bring it to them with the to the hospital. So they actually will have extra colostrum there Amazing. in case baby needs to be supplemented or maybe baby needs to go to the NICU or has a low blood sugar, you know, any sort of little bump in the road, you will have your already expressed classroom to be able to supplement the baby with, which is a really empowering, it's an incredibly empowering experience for mothers to see 
in pregnancy what their body is capable of and know that they have this tool like, you know, shoot, if my baby really isn't latching well in that golden hour, or they are so sleepy that first 24 hours of life, I don't have to just like spin out in an anxiety loop because my baby isn't feeding. I literally know what I need to do to support my body and to support my baby. That's amazing. And and if if you are hand expressing before pregnant uh before birth, you could just I'm assuming on Amazon you could get like little something to just store it in cuz I'm sure it's not going to fill up a bottle. No. So what you'll want to do is there's two options that work really well. Moms can express like into a spoon or a silverette cup, which are one of my favorite tools for breastfeeding, and then you literally draw it up in like a 1 or 3 cc oral syringe that you'd get on Amazon. Okay. Or there's Haka makes colostrum collectors, which are little like suction tubes almost where you can suck up the little drops. And some moms okay. will find they like those as well. So those are two options. Okay. And amazing. what I teach in my um, course is, you know, really evaluating whether or not collecting colostrum for you is something that appeals to you or is more of a stressor. My thing is, regardless, if you hear this and you're like, oh my God, I'm totally doing that. That's amazing. Or you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. That doesn't appeal to me at all. Still practice. Right. Just practicing and knowing what works for you, what motion you need to do, kind mm-hmm. of ex- experimenting with finger placement and all of that is um, really one of the best things you can do to go into your birth with. Okay. Amazing. So you wouldn't recommend then obviously doing like a bottle for it, like it's spoon or syringe. So then there's no confusion or anything in those early hours. Yeah. It's usually such a small volume and it's so thick that the bottle doesn't work really well. It's almost like a maple syrup consistency for most moms. Okay. So usually using an oral syringe while baby sucks on your finger Okay. Or um, giving it to them in a spoon okay, or, is, or a little medicine cup while you sit them up and just kind of tip it into their mouth. And they kind of, they literally lap it up like a little kitten. Um, oh, so, so cute. You know, it is very cute. So that's okay. a wonderful way to help support early breastfeeding. Okay. And does it hurt when you're hand expressing? So it shouldn't, you know, sometimes moms, because of the hormones of, of um pregnancy have really sensitive nipples. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to be using a hand motion that is kind of firm, but should not hurt. Okay. Um, and there's a great website. We talk all about this in boob school, but there's another website that's available for free for people called firstdroplets.com. Okay. And that is a wonderful resource for um, learning about hand expression, how to do it. So you can kind of practice it, incorporate it into afterbirth as well. Perfect. Okay. Amazing. Wow. That's so helpful. So then the other question that I have, like kind of related to this is say like we're, you know, breastfeeding on the breast. How do you know if your baby is getting enough milk, if you can't measure it via like, if you're doing a bottle and you're like, okay, this is two ounces. This is how many ounces. Like, how do you know when your baby got enough or when, if they're done? Like, like, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So that's a great question and is kind of one of the 
challenges of breastfeeding, especially when we live in this world of being able to look up something immediately and getting the answer on our, (laughs) on our phones. Uh And especially if you're more of like a type A personality. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I tell moms is to truly try to zoom out, right? We want to kind of be looking at the big markers. So what is baby's weight gain? Like, you know, Mm. so we initially know babies are going to lose weight after birth. And then after about four to five days of life, we want them to be gaining about an ounce a day. So we're going to be looking at that, the weight gain trends that a baby is going to be having. We're also going to be looking at the amount of peas and poops they're having and what their poops look like. So they're Mm. going to transition over the first couple days of life from a meconium poop, which is that black tarry stool that you may have heard about to breast milk poops, which are a yellow mustard color. And we're going to be kind of making sure that at least in the first couple weeks of life until baby's, you know, gaining well and thriving that we're paying attention to that. We're paying attention to the amount baby is peeing and pooping. We're also going to be listening for swallows. Um, Mm. And this is something that can take some practice. So in boob school, we have videos and we go over that, but listening for swallows is something that your nurse or your lactation consultant in the hospital can help point out to you. Mm. You know, it's a, a subtle kind of like, Uh, sound that the baby does when their jaw drops. And we're going to be looking for the difference between a, you know, a non-nutritive sock, which is where babies just sort of like almost pacifying at the breast, the difference between that and active sucking where we're seeing and hearing swallows. Okay. Um, wow. The, the other thing we're going to be paying attention to is just how the baby seems after they're eating. And this Mm. again is something that's really you know, tricky because babies cluster feed and babies can have periods of fussiness, you know, they can be gassy or whatever, but we're going to look and we're going to say, you know, after most feeds, does my baby seem satisfied? Mm. You know, do they, do they seem that like milk drunk with that you may have seen before where babies are really just like satiated seeming and sleepy after a feeding? Right. Okay. Um, so those are the things that we're going to be looking for. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I would encourage moms to do is like find, finding a community of support, um, where you can ask these sort of questions. Um, in boob school, we have a Facebook group and like literally people come in there and just, sometimes you just really need reassurance. Like, am I losing my mind? Is this a problem? You know, cause just not having to rely on Google and going down a million rabbit holes that may be kind of it's like the borderline crappy information. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> having a place that you can go where you can get, you know, recommendations from experts and also just other moms that are just like, I have been there. I remember those right. things when my baby was feeding a lot. It's easy to doubt yourself. And as long as we're seeing these things, then you should be good. I think Mm -hmm. that does a lot to kind of quell that anxiety. Cause I do think over the course of your breastfeeding journey, it really is, you know, if everything is going well with your milk supply and your baby, it it is a process of learning to trust your baby Mm. and learning to trust your body. Yeah. You know, wow. and that's a challenge in life in general, <laughs> not just in breastfeeding. <laughs> exactly. But you know, it really is a practice of kind of looking being able to zoom out, looking at the big picture and, you know, working to trust kind of that our babies are 
doing what they need to do to drive our milk supplies. I love that. And just wrapping that like kind of topic up in the hospital, obviously we know they lose weight and you said like the colostrum is there for the first couple of days. So is there a marker where it's like, Ooh, if they lose this much weight, maybe they're not even getting enough colostrum or like, this is when the hospital might say like, Oh, you need to supplement with formula. But if you really don't want to do that, like what, is there like a marker where you could say like, no, I, cause you don't want to starve your baby either. So it's like, how right. do you know if someone's like, you know, recommending formula, but you really don't want to do it. Like, is there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's a great, um, great question. So what I recommend is yes, we know babies are going to lose weight. Um, typically 10% is where we would start to get concerned. So if it's under okay. 10%, um, and especially we want to, again, look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So when a mom has had a long induction and she's had a lot of IV fluids or she's had a, a cesarean delivery and she's had a lot of IV fluids, those IV fluids are circulated through in the mom's body and through the placenta. So the baby is born with lots of fluids on board. Oh, and so then it makes you them see heavier. Makes them heavier. And then mm. over the next 24 hours, like you'll, I'll remember being at the hospital and there'd be some babies that peed eight times and pooped four times in the first 24 hours of birth. And then the next day we, we weigh them and it's like, wow, this baby has lost 6% of their weight. Mm. Well, really that first weight probably wasn't fully accurate. Right. Um, so I think pulling back before, you know, before we get a panic over just the percentage number, we want to be pulling back and looking at the whole picture. So we want to be looking at you know, is this a baby that lost most of that weight in the first 24 hours? Is this mom hearing swallows? Is this mom mm. seeing the appropriate number of peas and poops? Is she having changes in how her breasts feel over the course of the day? Is she able to hand express or pump some extra volume to give the baby? Mm. Um, so those would be the things that I would be looking at. And, okay. you know, before, you know, and those are conversations that you should, you know, be having with, your pediatric provider who's going to be rounding on you in the hospital, that's really the person that would call the shots, whether or not your baby like needs to be supplemented. Mm-hmm. But that's something that it should be a conversation between right, you guys exactly. where it's ultimately your decision. A, right. And it might be the kind of thing that, okay, they'll agree to watch you for the next you know, 12 hours and, or you know, you're discharged, but you have a follow-up with a lactation consultant the next day. Those okay. sorts of things are things that you can bring into the conversation. So, you know, your, your wishes are met. Oh, that's so helpful. Okay. I love that. So let's kind of pivot to latching. Um, how, how do we know if the baby's properly latched? Are there like any tips to latch? Are there things like, cause I know everybody has different nipples and it's like different nipple sizes, whatever. Like what are just some, any like tips you could give on latching and how we know they're properly latched? Um, will it be like very obvious if they're not latching properly? Like, what does that look like? So I do have a free guide to latching, which I'll give oh, you to amazing. put in the show notes so people can Perfect. take a look at that. So the thing about latching that's really interesting is babies are are latching and feeding because of reflexes, right? All these reflexes that your baby's born with, the uh, rooting reflex and the sucking reflex, the stepping reflex, they're all really ingrained in their body to help them get to the breast and feed. 
Mm. But the interesting thing is they really need something called positional stability or, or really gravity to help them be able to use their reflexes to latch effectively. And in modern breastfeeding practices, we do a lot of teaching people to kind of sit upright with a million pillows around them. And yeah. you know, that's where you moms feel this pressure to like shove their nipple in their baby's mouth yeah. at the perfect time, or it's not a good latch. So I teach a lot in boob school, kind of more baby led latching, mm. which is where mom is reclined actually. Okay. And baby is able to, with gravity, move to the breast and they naturally open wider and latch on without much help or, you know, timing for the mom. It's a lot, bless you. Sorry. It's a lot less. It's okay. It's a lot less stressful. Mm. Um, But in general, you know, the, a latch ideally should not hurt. So ideally Mm, a couple things we're going to be thinking about is, you know, is it painful? If your Mm. latch is painful, then something isn't right. Mm. Um, So I don't care if you're, if someone tells you the latch is good, if it's not comfortable, that requires further investigation. Mm. And when babies latch to the breast, their mouths should be open, like a yawning position. We when want they go them on. To be, uh-huh. Okay. And we want them to be taking more of the bottom part of the areola okay. instead of the top part. So if you think about, if you were going to, if I was going to drink this glass of water right now, yeah. Naturally, I'm going to tip my head sort of back. I'm going to elevate my chin a little bit. Right. And that's the position that we want baby to be in when they're latching at the breast. Okay. That makes so sense. If you kind of tuck your chin against your chest and try to open your mouth and drink. Oh yeah. It's like so not, uncomfortable. It's, it's not going to be comfortable. Yeah. So when we're thinking about latching, it's much less about, you know, what's happening right at the mouth. Mm. We want to be looking at the baby's full body and how the mom and the baby really fit together like puzzle pieces. Because if we get that foundation right, then the whole latching process is a lot less stressful and a lot easier for mom and baby. So that's really how I teach latching in school, which is different than um, what, you know, a lot of people are taught in the hospital. But what they've, they've done studies about teaching this more baby-led latching versus more traditional latching. And moms have less nipple pain Mm. when we teach breastfeeding. <laughs> so I really believe in it. And from the, my clients, it really can make a huge difference. So um, I teach that inside of boob school. And again, I'll have you link that freebie so moms can get yes. kind of an idea of that approach to latching as well. Amazing. Yeah. And we're putting obviously boob school in the show notes, like all of this. So if you're listening, like, please check all that out. I mean, so much incredible information there. Um, do you find that like some babies will tend to always kind of do better in like specific positions or it just depends on the day. Like they're in different positions all the time. So, you know, what's really interesting about babies is, and, and latching is that breastfeeding is a full body activity. Mm-hmm. So for the baby, ba- for the baby. Okay. So what's happening in the whole baby's body is going to impact latching. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of moms will be like, my baby doesn't like to feed on the left side because my nipples less round on that side or something. But most of the time, a baby not being able to feed in a particular position is related to tension in that baby's body. Mm. So your baby is literally in a, you know, little pretzel inside of you. And they (laughs) have to sort of unfurl over the next couple days and weeks and months. Right. Um, And 
for a lot of babies, they may have some tension from in utero positioning. You know, sometimes Mm. babies were kind of stuck in a certain position and it may be more difficult for them to maybe turn their head into that position or elevate their chin in that position. So if you are having difficulty latching on a particular side or in a particular way, definitely don't, your first instinct should not be, it's something wrong with my breasts. Mm. Your first instinct is what's going on in my baby's body that's making this way of latching difficult for them. And that's where, that's where like, you know, pediatric chiropractors or Mm. craniosacral therapists can come in and really help. And, and just giving your baby access to lots of free movement. So not, you know, swaddling I know is very common and can be helpful to, you know, let baby sleep a little bit longer, but we, we want to be giving baby equal access to not being in a swaddle Mm. so they can get stretched. They can open their bodies. They can, you know, they have to go from this flexion in utero to this breastfeeding position. Mm. And that's a big change. It's literally going from a tucked to an open position. Yeah. And so we want to help babies be able to move their bodies freely and be able to get kind of unfurled from the womb so they can feed effectively at the breast. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I've been reading stuff about swaddling and how like they don't have that like reflex if they're like too tight all the time. So that's interesting. You brought it up that it can support breastfeeding. I never even thought about it in that way. And I love how you said like, it shouldn't be the first instinct that something's wrong with your breast because especially as women, it's like always, what am I doing wrong? Why? Like I'm failing. This is my fault. Like that's such a great way to look at it. Like, no, it's probably just because the baby, like you said, it's so true. They're like in this tiny little position for so long. So like it could cause some tension. Never even thought about that, but I love how you brought that up. So, okay. Talking about the, um, the pain that you're like, if it's painful, then they're not latching properly, but like, is there just a normal amount of soreness that's obviously going to happen just from your nipples being sore from feeding so much, or there should be no pain if they're even after, if they're latching properly? So that's a really good question. So kind of yes. And, um, (laughs) I think for, so that nipple soreness, you know, in the hours and days after birth is related most commonly to a shallow latch. Mm, Okay. If you have a rock star latch each and every time, and you can literally have no nipple pain. Some wow. moms have no nipple pain. Oh, um, bless. I know. <laughs> but for most moms who are learning and, you know, they it, the thing about our nipples, it's sort of like the inside of your mouth. They're extremely vascular mm. and they can get damaged very quickly and they can heal quickly as well with proper treatment. Okay, I'm assuming if you're listening to this episode that you are someone who is either pregnant, you're curious about it because maybe you're trying to get pregnant, or you are postpartum and you're in this breastfeeding journey. Like wherever you are in that spectrum, I also know that you're someone that, of course, wants to best take care of themselves nutritionally, supplementally. And if you're anything like me, you want to make sure that the supplements that you're taking are actually of high quality, that they're ones that you actually need, that they're doing something in your body, that they don't have all those fillers, they don't have all this crap 
crap in it and that they're supporting you with where you're at in your pregnancy, fertility, postpartum journey. So if you don't already know about the company Needed, we need to talk about it because it's literally my absolute favorite supplement brand for supporting your fertility, your pregnancy, and your postpartum time. So if you, some people don't even know to like continue taking a prenatal in postpartum, but it's actually extremely important, especially if you're breastfeeding, because we want to make sure that we're still getting a therapeutic range of nutrients to not only support our healing, but to also to support our milk supply, to support the baby, like all the things. So whether you're trying to get pregnant, you're currently pregnant, or you are postpartum, I highly recommend a high quality prenatal and Needed's is absolutely my favorite for so many reasons. They have absorbable forms of the nutrients that we need, meaning a lot of uh, forms of prenatals have B vitamins that are like in the forms that our body cannot actually absorb, like folic acid instead of folate. Um, This has proper amount of zinc that you could actually absorb. It has a high amount of vitamin D and magnesium and literally everything I'm obsessed with it. Something else I really want to touch on, especially if you are postpartum, is their iron supplement. Their iron is separate from their prenatal, which they did very intentionally and I love because iron is something that doesn't just easily absorb in our body and it doesn't absorb in our body well when it's paired with other nutrients. So it's actually best to have the iron supplement away from the prenatal and to take it on an empty stomach without any other food or supplements with it. So that's why I love that their iron is separate and they also have a chart on their website um, to to talk to you about how much iron you actually need needs. So it's really nice that you could also tailor it to your specific needs instead of just having like a generic amount in your prenatal because everyone needs a different amount depending on if you're already pregnant, what trimester you're in, if you're postpartum. Because when you're postpartum and that especially in those beginning stages, you're bleeding a lot. So you need to make sure that you are still supplementing with iron. So definitely check out that supplement for them. They have a vegan omega that I love, DHA, EPA. That's so extremely important for your fertility, for your pregnancy, for postpartum. All of that go check out their website. They have choline that I love as well. Everything in there is, again, they have no fillers, their therapeutic range, their science-backed, evidence-based, like the cleanest of the clean. I would, of course, you know, I would not be taking it or recommending it if it wasn't something that I personally am obsessed with and I back. So head to thisisneeded.com. And of course, because you are a part of this community, you get a discount using code Corinne at checkout, C-O-R-I-N-N-E. All the information will be in the show notes. If you have any questions about them, just DM me on Instagram at Corinne Angelica, and I will be happy to support you. Now let's get back into this episode all about breastfeeding with Kelly Kendall. You know, it doesn't take many latches that are kind of shallow or kind of just what I saw a lot in the hospital and 100% guilty of myself with my kids is kind of this idea of, you know, well, at least they're on there. I'm just going to let them be like, I'm just going to deal with it. It's Mm -hmm. not not that bad. It's just, you know, four out of 10 pain. I'm just going to disassociate and kind of ignore this. And then that (laughs) pain is cumulative. And that's really what causes this Soreness most of the time is, you know, maybe not latches that at the time were like horrible, but you've kind of dealt with it and had, you know, kind of this feeling that, you know, you didn't want to take baby off and relatch them. You kind of just dealt with it. And Mm -hmm. it's that compression of the nipple from a more shallow latch that causes that early nipple trauma and damage Mm -hmm. and pain. Wow. That makes so much sense. Okay. So it's good to know that it doesn't have to be painful no. at all. And the soreness is probably from that. So that's, cause that's one of the things I'm like, okay, it's just like, I just thought that was like a hundred percent, like you're just going to be sore for a while till your nipples just get used to all this like action. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's not how it works. It's Amazing. it's really like okay. your latch got better. Mm. And that's why your pain dissipated. Your wow. nipples didn't like callus get used to it. And, yeah, they didn't. That's get literally used what to I it. thought. Okay, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is good to know. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about pumping. So, do you recommend doing? Because I, well, I want to talk about like how to transition if people are like going back to work. But do you also recommend like being on the breast and then also pumping to store some milk? Like what are your thoughts about that, about doing both or is there confusion? Like what's, what is that about? So it's really going to depend on the mom and what's going on. But in general terms, Mm -hmm. if things are going well, if your baby is feeding well, in the first couple of weeks, don't even worry about pumping. Like, okay. of course, get your pump, take it out, sterilize it because you never know what's going to happen. Right. But if your baby is feeding well, you can put that on the back burner. Just focus on feeding on demand, which is a lot in the newborn stage. Newborns feed eight to 12 times a day. Ooh. So you don't need to add in any extra work for yourself. Right, right. But then around, typically around four weeks is okay. when I suggest starting a daily bottle with the baby. Okay. Okay? Okay. It can be a snack bottle. So it can be as little as a half an ounce of breast milk that you got either hand expressing or with the haka, or it can be a full feed. It just depends mm-hmm. on what appeals to you, what works into your schedule, what's less annoying for you to do. Okay. So, But the reason we want to be practicing that is that there is such a thing as waiting too long to introduce a bottle. Yeah, that was my next question because yeah. it's like, will they <laughs> yeah. ever take the bottle then? Yeah, so we want to start this daily bottle practice. So if you want to go on a date night or a vacation right. or you're returning to work, that you're not dealing with bottle refusal, which is very, very stressful for parents. Yeah. Um, I think in general, we have this perception that we need to have this huge milk stash built up for when we return to work. Mm-hmm. Um. But what many moms don't realize is when you return to work, we are going to be prioritizing fresh milk. Mm. So what you pump on Monday is what you're going to send to daycare on Tuesday. Okay. That's that's ideally what's happening because fresh milk is number one, going to have, you know, the different hormones and nutritional right. components of breast milk denature over time, the longer they're stored. Mm. And that's what's going to keep you immunologically lined up with babies. So if babies right. gets exposed to something at daycare on Monday, your immune system is going to start pumping out antibodies to that particular virus. Wow. And those antibodies so are going to be in your fresh milk. Yeah. It's so cool. So, so crazy. So that's why we want to be giving baby fresh milk. So, you know, what a lot of moms will be like, when they learn this, they're like, okay, well now I have 300 ounces stored in my freezer and I'm not (laughs) even going to be using them. But, you know, you can use those later. You can donate them. But what we really want to be focusing on for the most part is giving your baby fresh milk. Um, So, you know, a reasonable thing to do if you want to start building a small stash is pumping after the first feed of the day. So overnight and in the morning is when your prolactin levels are highest. So you're generally going to get the the highest yield. So kind of the biggest bang for your buck. Okay. So you can feed baby directly at the breast. They'll maybe either take one or both sides, and then you can pump for 15 minutes afterwards Mm. and store whatever you pumped either, you know, 
in the freezer or whatever, and kind of slowly build your stash. So this is overnight into the morning? Yeah, whatever you consider the first morning feed of the day. So okay. you can call that your 6 a.m. feed. Some moms are like, I'm not doing anything extra until 10 a.m. Right. Just do whatever works for your for your. And life. just that one time a day? That's a good kind of reasonable place to start. Okay. I want to just caveat this with when you're pumping after your baby has fed at the breast, you are pumping your extra milk. So it can take several pump sessions for some moms to make a full bottle. Mm, it okay. would be normal for you to just pump a half an ounce to an ounce and a half, two ounces after feeding your baby because you're just getting out the extra. So okay. I don't want any mom to hear this and think that that's a sign of a low milk supply. That's mm. not a sign of a low milk supply. Okay. So you're just able to kind of slowly chip away at building up that freezer stash. Some moms will find using the haka intermittently, which is a kind of a suction pump Mm -hmm. (laughs) onto your breast to collect some of your letdown can be a way to kind of slowly build up a stash. But again, we really need much less milk than we think in our freezer. So we want to focus, feed your baby, not your freezer is kind Mm. of a good, good mantra to have. Okay. That's amazing. So, so four week mark. So there's, because there's so many different things that I've always heard of like, you know, give the baby a bottle within the first like two weeks because then they'll refuse it. Or it's like, don't ever give them it. Like that's nipple confusion. So you you think the four week mark is a good mark to just like do, obviously everyone's on a different journey, but if like you want to do mostly breast, like fully just breast for four weeks and then waiting till that mark. I think if things are going well with breastfeeding and you're not needing or wanting to supplement the baby beforehand, mm-hmm. then that's a good plan. Okay. For some moms, bottles will need to be in the picture way sooner than that. And right. I don't want a mom to hear that like we can't blend breast and bottle. You right. absolutely can blend breast and bottle, but there are certain things you want to know about how to feed the bottle and the type of bottle to choose so Mm. that you can blend those two things effectively without having the baby create a preference for a bottle. So it's not really confusion, but babies are genius and they're going to do whatever's easier. So Mm. if a bottle is way easier for them, some babies can kind of really prefer the easier flow of the bottle. Right. So that's why in boob school, we talk about this and I have a lot of content on my um, Instagram page, kind of how to pace bottle feed, how to position the baby ways to, you know, what kind of bottle to choose. Mm. So you can kind of blend the two things. And that's also something really to communicate with your partner because for many families, the the partner is going to be the one that may be doing some of the bottle feedings. So you want to make sure that whoever's bottle feeding the baby understands the way that we want to present the bottle to a breastfed baby. Mm, Okay. So, so as far as nipple confusion, um, on this topic, like with, what is your view on pacifiers? And then what would be your top recommended bottle, like brand and nipples for not having that confusion? So for bottles, we want to be looking at a nipple with a gradual slope. So we used to kind of marketing just tells us like, oh, look for the one that looks like the boob. Right. (laughs) You don't want that. You actually want a bottle with a a gradual slope that's going to encourage the baby to have an open mouth posture. So we want to 
open mouth on the bottle and an open mouth on the breast. Okay. So I really like the even flow balance bottle. That's okay. my personal favorite. Um, Lansinol is another great bottle. The Dr. Brown standard neck is another great bottle. Even flow is my favorite just because it doesn't have as many parts and I just find it works well for most families. Okay. Um, and so that would be the kind of bottle that I would choose, um, in regards to pacifiers. So a pacifier. And I'm sorry. Wait, sorry. One second. That's the, that's the nipple or is that the actual bottle? So it, it's going to come together when you purchase it, although you can purchase the nipple separately. Okay. But generally when you purchase a bottle, it's going to come together with both the bottle and the nipple that attaches to it and the collar. Okay. So for like the Dr. Brown standard neck, cause I know like they have like level like zero, one, two, like nipple is that. Yeah. So so what we're talking about with the wide neck or the standard neck is the circumference of the bottle. Oh, okay. Not the and okay. not the nipple. And so with okay. Dr. Brown's, that brand specifically, the reason I said that is because I really like their standard neck mm. bottle, just the skinnier bottle. Okay. Has a good shape, but their wider bottle, I don't like that nipple. It's not as shaped as I would like it for a breastfed baby. Okay. So there's just like one size nipple that goes with that standard neck, like level, whatever one. No. So that is, I know this is very complex. So that <laughs> is actually the, the, the flow rate of the nipple. Oh, and it's okay. important to, to say that there is no standardization for flow rate. Mm. So what Dr. Brown's calls a slow flow, maybe a creamy flow on another brand or okay. what it may be a premium flow on one brand is actually needed. So there really is no standardization. Okay. But in general, for breastfed babies, especially in the beginning, we want to choose a premium or a slow flow nipple because okay. that's going to be more similar to the breast. Some babies will never have to change that nipple the entire time and they'll mm. do just fine. Some babies, as they get older and more efficient, will kind of get frustrated with that flow or their strength of their, their suction may collapse the nipple. And that would be a reason to go up in flow rate. So maybe you would Got go it. from a slow flow nipple to a medium flow nipple at some point. Okay. Um, as okay. Your baby Got it. Older. I didn't realize, I thought it was really just most important, the nipple flow. I didn't realize the actual size of the bottle had an effect either. So that's really good to know. Um, yeah. Okay. So sorry, I cut you off. You were talking about pacifiers. So pacifiers are, you know, a, a, you'll ask 10 different lactation consultants and probably get a slightly different answer. <laughs> this is my opinion. Um, a pacifier is a tool for when it's not feasible or reasonable to be breastfeeding your baby. So mm. your breast is the ultimate pacifier. So right. if your baby wants to nurse for comfort they're in pain or they're overtired or they're fussy or they just got a shot or whatever, mm. the boob is where it's at. Right. But sometimes mama's got to take a shower right. or you have to go to the bathroom or you're <laughs> driving in the car mm. or maybe you just need to rage cry in the bathroom for three minutes and get yourself <laughs> together. And yeah. those are all times that using a pacifier is a totally reasonable thing to do. Mm. You can, you know, if you are baby's been cluster feeding for hours and you're just like, I 
need a break. I need to walk around the block. I need to have a breath of fresh air. Totally reasonable to use a pacifier. Um, The shape of the pacifier matters similarly to how bottles do. So we want something with a cylindrical shape, like a soothie is a good good brand to start with. I a Soothie, really like, you said? Yeah, Soothie, oh. Philips, Soothie. And then okay. there's another really cool brand out right now that I like a lot called Nini & Co. Okay. And that's a really soft silicone pacifier that's very similar to how a baby breastfeeds. So that's Can you say that one again? Nini & Co. N-I-N-N-I. Okay, & Co. Okay. Awesome. So those are my two favorite pacifiers. So the way we don't use a pacifier is, oh, it's the middle of the night and it's been a few hours. It's been an hour even. And my baby is fussing and acting like they want to breastfeed. I'm going to put the pacifier in their mouth so I don't have to wake up right now. Mm -hmm. Like That's not the ideal way to use a pacifier. Okay. But if you're using it mindfully as a way to get a break every once in a while, when you need to, when it isn't reasonable for you to be comforting baby with the breast, then... It's totally a okay thing to do. And I don't think there's a reason to wait to any specific period of time. I just think be reasonable about it. But I personally think it's much more stressful to just allow your baby to scream and cry while totally. you're in the bathroom or driving in the car <laughs> right. and using a pacifier for a few minutes to, to get them regulated. Because for a newborn, sucking is the main way they have to regulate their nervous system. Mm. So they need to suck a lot to help regulate themselves. And we wow. want to give them lots of opportunities to do that. I love that. Oh, that's so amazing. Okay. I want to transition to um, milk supply dropping. Um, and like, what are some causes of that? Um, because I know like personally, my friend right now, she's, I don't know, the baby's like four or five weeks or something. And she's noticed a drop in her supply, but she's doing like pumping and, and not. So um, there's obviously education piece too. I like all the stuff you just talked about, but are there other things that like cause a drastic drop in your milk supply that people could like look out for and get ahead of and like some ways we can improve it? So the two biggest thing, you know, when we're talking about milk supply, we want to really divide it into two categories. And before I forget to mention this, Kaya at Low Supply Mom on Instagram is a wonderful resource for all things low supply. She oh, is amazing. evidence-based. She is wonderful. How do you spell um, her name? It's Kaya, K-A-I-A, Lacey, and she's at Low Supply Mom. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll put all this in the show notes. Okay. Low yeah, Supply so Mom. She- let me make sure. Yeah, low supply mom. Okay. Um, so she is a wonderful resource. So when we're talking about low supply, there really are two types of low supply. And it can kind of be a blend of the two. So something like primary low supply. Mm. And that's where a mom perhaps doesn't have an adequate amount of glandular tissue um, or a hormone imbalance. So mm. specifically for your community who may be dealing with PCOS, this is mm. going to be a really important thing to hear. Yeah. So glandular tissue is the part of your breast that makes milk. Mm. And that's been building in your body over the whole course of the time from when you went through puberty. So wow. every time you've been getting your period, your And through pregnancy, that amount of glandular tissue has been growing. Mm. And we do know that um, how our hormones are and how regular our periods are is going to impact the amount of glandular tissue that is in our breasts. Mm. And this is 
complicated because, you know, for some moms, they may go into their pregnancy and delivery having less glandular tissue than they need to make a full milk supply. Right. And that would be Especially if they weren't getting a period and maybe they did IVF or something like that. Right. So, um, and Kaya talks a lot about that because she has PCOS herself and, you know, insulin resistance plays a part and thyroid function, you know, as Mm. you know, it's, it's very complicated and milk supply is something that is also really understudied. (laughs) Shocking. Scratching (laughs) the surface of understanding this. Right. (laughs) So if, if you have a history of PCOS, infertility, Mm. if your breasts are very widely spaced and maybe kind of almost tubular or very kind of flat, like pancakey, or if in your pregnancy, you did not have breast changes. Mm. So you never really had that soreness in the beginning of pregnancy. You didn't have any real breast growth. Your breasts never got heavier or firmer. Mm. Those would all be reasons to meet one-on-one with an IBCLC in pregnancy. Um, Okay. So I would recommend two things if that, if, if moms are hearing this and they're like, Oh my God, that sounds like me. Mm -hmm. I would take a course like boob school just because you're going to go into your console with your IBCLC so much more educated. So we're going to be able, we'll be able to meet and you'll be able to ask specific questions. Mm -hmm. You're going to understand how milk supply works. So you're going to go in with a a a stronger foundation of understanding, then I would find an IBCLC to meet with one-on-one to look at your breasts before you deliver in pregnancy and kind of come up with some reasonable expectations and or some things that we're going to be paying closer attention to with you. Um, There are also some herbal medications that you can take towards the end of your pregnancy if you know that you have some risk factors, maybe mm. you're a, you know, a gestational diabetic, you PCOS, you know, oftentimes, you know, these things come together. So yeah. I see moms, PCOS, gestational diabetic, maybe they had some infertility. Mm-hmm. Those are the moms that I love to meet with prenatally and kind of come up with a game plan. Know we're going to watch them much closer. Mm-hmm. And so they can also kind of come to terms with the fact that this may or may not be a possibility because what happens for some moms is they are just totally blindsided by it. And a lot of times even, you know, obstetricians will be like, don't worry about it until you're in it. You know, you don't know what it's going to be like. And, you know, I, I'm someone that really believes that, you know, having knowledge and education, understanding how our body works Mm -hmm you know, will allow us to meet our body with a lot more compassion and grace. Um, so that's, that's what's called primary low supply. So that's wow. kind of, it's, and that never knew any of that. That's so interesting. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's primary low supply. Mm. And then there's something and that's the less common type of low supply. Although we still do know that low supply happens about 10 to 15% of the time. And, you know, like, you know, PCOS is incredibly Mm underdiagnosed. So many moms who don't even know that this may have been a piece of the puzzle. Totally. Um, So that's, 
that's primary low supply. And again, it can kind of be a combination of both. Then there's secondary low supply. And secondary low supply is when a mom didn't get enough effective or frequent milk removal in the beginning Mm. to either establish a full supply or continue to make a full supply of breast milk. So our body needs frequent effective removal of milk to know how much milk to make and to continue to make that much milk. So for most moms who are having a low supply, it's related to that secondary causes. So that can be you know, maybe a mom wasn't educated enough about the importance of pumping overnight. She just thought, I'll just give, you know, formula and I'll sleep for eight hours. No one told her that she needed to keep removing milk. Or maybe that baby has a tongue tie that makes them Mm. not be able to remove milk well from the breast. And this mom's been feeding this baby, you know, 12 times a day and they're not really gaining well because they're not able to remove that milk well. And that can impact mom's milk supply. And some of those things we can reverse with, you know, pumping and a good plan and, Mm -hmm. you know, really good lactation management. How do you Um, know if the milk is totally out? Like, how do you know if you are... um, Well, you're never really empty. And depending on how much milk you have in your breasts, you know, most moms are going to make more milk than their baby needs initially. And I don't want a mom to think like, oh my God, well, I have to be pumping after every feeding to make sure I get really empty. Right. For most moms, if your baby is gain, we're again going to be zooming out and looking at those big picture things. We're going to be looking at, you know, hearing those swallows, looking at those diapers, looking at those baby's weight gain. If all of those things are good, we're going to really let baby drive the bus. Mm, after okay. after the first couple days and weeks. So the first couple days of after birth, and you know, I talk about this much more in depth than boob school, but I do want you to be waking your baby up. Mm. So you will need to wake baby up in those first days and weeks of birth until they are consistently gaining and they're back to their birth weight. And that's when you can kind of back a little bit and really let them drive the bus. And if like you have every what, two day, hours, three hours, I would the say beginning? every two to three hours. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't let them go more than three hours overnight in the beginning, from the okay. beginning of one feeding to the beginning of the next feeding. Okay. Um, and so as long as they're like gaining, peeing, pooping, all of that, you generally know that you are emptying enough. You generally know that your baby is removing enough milk for them to gain well. And you okay. can trust that, you know, as long as you're feeding on demand that, you know, we're not going to make a problem where there isn't a problem. Right. Um, and again, like milk supply is complex. There's lots of things involved in Mm -hmm. it, but you know, if a mom is having concerns about a milk supply, my biggest thing is reaching out for support, um, and finding a lactation consultant who is, um, well-educated on supply. So Kaya, mm-hmm. again, I love her. She actually runs a support group once a month inside of boob school. Cause I just, oh, amazing. it's extremely important to me to have resources for moms with low supply. Cause I yeah. just think it's much more common than, than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens a lot is moms get put on these triple feeding plans where we tell you, okay, Corinne, you're going to feed your baby at the breast for 
half hour, however long it takes them to feed on both sides. Then you're going to pump for 15 minutes and then you're going to feed your baby a bottle. And then you're going to repeat that again in three hours. Oh my God. You're just like doing it all day. Yeah. You're doing it all day. And that can be effective in the short term, right? That can be an effective little like birth. Like, okay, we're going to put our big girl pants on. We're going to give it our all the next week. And we're going to see what we can do to get back on track. What, what the problem lies is when people have no exit ramp for these yeah. um, things and they're going weeks and months of doing these really exhaustive triple feeding plans. Mm. So if that's you, if you're hearing that and you're like, oh my God, that was my first, my first child. I went through that meeting with someone who's well-educated about low supply is going to be really, really important. Yeah. Wow. That was so helpful. I could literally talk to you for hours. Um, that was extremely helpful. Um, okay. So we're going to wrap this up because I respect your time and I can't believe it's already been an hour, but I have two things I want to, I want to ask you. Um, obviously with breastfeeding, like this is the mom who is doing all of this and it doesn't really involve the spouse. Um, are there ways that you can like have, like, how can your spouse support you in this since like you're the one that's going to be getting up all the time, feeding them all the time. Like they're not doing this portion of it. If you have a spouse that. or a partner. I, yes. I love that question. Cause I think there is so much partners can do and they can do literally everything else. <laughs> like <laughs> True. <laughs> they even water you they're, they should be getting you your meals. They should be making sure you have your water. They should be doing mm-hmm. all of the, food, you know, wrangling of other children. They should be one emptying the dishwasher in the fur. Ideally, you know, we don't live in villages and huts anymore where we're surrounded by <laughs> our mothers and our sisters and who are, you know, around surrounding a new mom and doing everything for her. So she can do the intense work of breastfeeding a newborn, yeah. but your partner should be really doing everything else for you. Mm. And so they can, in terms of (laughs) diaper changes, um, you know, baby baths, you know, but I would say the biggest thing is making sure that you're okay. Like Mm. you can get trapped and trapped on the couch with a cluster feeding baby and making sure like, Hey, you have your snack and a full water Mm -hmm. and making sure that you don't need anything. Number one, that number two, it is a team sport. I mean, <laughs> I think having a partner who values the work that you are doing is incredibly impactful. Yeah. So early every night I would, you know, go feed the baby and then I would get back into bed and my husband would tell me like, you're doing a great job. I appreciate what you're oh. doing so much. Oh, I could like and, cry just thinking <laughs> Yeah. I like, thank you, you for saying that. <laughs> right. It, and I'm not just pulling this out of my butt. Like there are studies that show that it really is that like deep appreciation yes. that makes a big difference. Yes. The other thing that your partner can do is help create boundaries around family members' expectations. <sighs> Amen. <laughs> so, you know, when people are wanting to knock at your door, when people are wanting to hold the baby, when you've just given birth and your mother-in-law is hovering over you, telling you give her the baby, right. that's something you really are wanting your partner to step up and put some boundaries for you. Um, love it. So I think those three things can be really helpful. That's so helpful. I love that. And then just to end this on kind of like a mental, emotional 
side of it because obviously we talked about like so many tactical things but they're like we were just touching on there's i mean it's obviously something so incredibly difficult um what are of course getting a community i think like you touched on is so incredibly important for this kind of stuff um but what are there are there any other like practices or just something that can like help the mom mentally through this like that you like don't know, especially if it's like a first time mom, you're like, I don't know what I'm expecting. Like, you know, the hardest things about it, how to overcome it. Like, is that the hardest thing? Do you think like the mental and emotional toll of it? And just like how you're not sleeping really ever? Like, is that the hardest part? Cause that's what I'm imagining is the hardest part. Yeah. I think there is a huge component of it that is mental and, you know, energetic and spiritual, however you want to, um, talk about it. Mm-hmm. That to me is one of my biggest focuses in boob school. And, and great. I, you know, have had myself a lot of breastfeeding challenges. I've had a lot of chronic illnesses mm. that I deal with. So holding my body with deep self-compassion and holding your baby who is a complex human with deep compassion wow. is so important. Mm. Um, and for a lot of moms challenges with breastfeeding is the first time they've ever had to confront, you know, the limitations of their body. Um, and so there is a lot that comes along with that. Um, and, you know, advocating for yourself and pivoting and changing with how your journey evolves. If it doesn't look how you anticipated it looking, I think is really so important. And, you know, so every once in a while I'll get a mom that's like, if I take boob school, do you promise that everything will be okay? And I'm like, <laughs> I can't do that. Right up wish I was that powerful. Yeah, exactly. But what, what I will promise you is having education is yes. such an important part of feeling like you have agency 100%. to make decisions that work for your body. And I deeply, deeply believe that, you know, finding like compassion and love for ourselves, wherever our body is and however it's going is the biggest gift that we can give to ourselves and to our babies. Um, And so I think just having the capacity to hold ourselves through the challenges from a place of, again, like deep love and nurturing for ourselves and is really a huge part of, of the challenge of not just birth and breastfeeding, but parenting throughout mm. our journeys. I have a yeah. nine-year-old and 11 year old and it doesn't, it doesn't end. It just changes. <laughs> and so this is, this is the first step in, you know, loving yourself in your, you know, humanness and complexity and limitation and not making ourselves wrong for that, but just knowing that it's part of being a human being. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, Kelly, you're so amazing. This conversation was incredible. Okay. Everyone you need to, first of all, follow Kelly on Instagram, which what's your handle? The balanced boob, the balanced boob. And, um, go to boob school. Obviously we're going to be putting that in the show notes. Can you, and we're putting that lactation free guide in the show notes also. Can you just tell people how they could find you a little synopsis of boob school? Obviously like you, you touched on it throughout, but like just a little bit about it. And then, um, obviously we'll put all the links in the show notes and do you work with people one-on-one as well? 
I don't do a lot of it right now, but I will be gearing up to do more. And I have an awesome lactation consultant on my team that does. Perfect. Okay. So how can we work with you? How can we find you? Yeah. So find me on Instagram at The Balanced Boob. My website is www.thebalancedboob.com. And there's all the information about boob school. I have lots of blogs, all all the resources that you need are going to be over there. Um, and boob school, yeah, I really designed it to be what I would build for my sister is kind mm-hmm. of the impetus of my sister's your age. She is Love it. <laughs> Love I, it. You know, hoping to have her next baby or her first baby in the next year or two. And I really built it to be what, what I would want to give her to go into her breastfeeding and parenting journey with. And so it's really Amazing. built to be kind of all the practical knowledge you need and the community and support aspect, because that's such a key layer. You know, it's not enough to just be like, here's the education, go on your merry way while you cry in a corner. Totally. Built to really hold you through the, hold you through the journey. So I love that. Oh oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to put all the links in the show notes. Kelly, thank you so much for your time, for all this information. Like that was absolutely incredible. I, if, okay. One thing that you can do listener right now to thank our guest is to share this with a friend, a family member, somebody share this on your social media and tag at the balance boob, tag me at Crane Angelica, just message Kelly, like let her know what was your takeaway. Like she just poured so much into us. And it's so validating when you go on shows like this to hear like, oh, someone actually did enjoy it or they they took this away from it. So please let her know how freaking valuable this was. Um, whether again, you DM her, you tag us, whatever, share it with a friend, please share this far and wide. This is such invaluable information and go check out boob school, go follow her on Instagram, do all the things. Kelly, thank you again so much for being here. I you are so, so welcome. Much. I enjoyed it so much. Amazing. And everybody, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this episode and learned something valuable, please share it with a friend who you think would also love it or post it on social media and tag me so I could personally say thank you for helping me spread this important message. I am beyond grateful to be here with you. So until next time, stay intentional, stay consistent, and always mind your hormones.